0: today on follow friday we're going to talk about horse medicine puppets florida men the best celebrity chef in the world old school bloggers apple fanboys and why the year 2020 was like a japanese roller coaster that's in a minute with dave pell from next draft but first i want to tell you about follow friday's new youtube channel i made this channel for a specific reason Let's say you want to tell a friend about the show and specifically a person who was recommended on this podcast. Well, going forward, every single person recommended on this show will get their own YouTube video. So you can just send the link to that video to your friend, not the whole podcast. Way more convenient. You can find the channel by searching for Follow Friday podcast on YouTube, or you can go to followfriday.co slash YouTube. Check it out. Today is a good day to meet some new friends, hey, everyone make a way, a Friday. the show is a buffet of folks you should know, hey, so let's have a soiree, Friday. well that's enough for a and so now right away, with no further delay, it's of Friday, it's a Friday. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, a podcast about who you should follow online. Every week I talk to creative people about who they follow and why. This is a guided tour to the best people on the internet led by your favorite writers, podcasters, comedians, and more. You can support the show and get bonus episodes for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash followfriday. Today on the show is Dave Pell, also known as the Managing Editor of the Internet. He's the author of the excellent email newsletter, Next Draft, which I've read for many years. Every weekday, Dave combs through dozens of news sources and identifies the 10 most interesting stories that you should know. You should sign up for free at nextdraft.com. Dave, welcome to Fall Friday. Thanks a lot for having me on. So nice to meet you at long last. I feel like I mainly think of you as your little cartoon avatar with the steampunk goggles, so finally putting a face to the name. Yeah,
1: luckily my avatar doesn't age. I used to have one that looked more like me, but then people would be shocked when they saw me that I was grayer than he was, so I decided to go (laughs) with the more animated version.
0: Hey, I've got a cartoon avatar too. This is the secret. Everlasting life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) Well, you have something really exciting on the horizon, which is that in a couple months, you're putting out a book, I think, based on stuff that you've written for Next Draft. Is that right? Uh, Next
1: Draft was sort of an outline for it. The book is called Please Scream Inside Your Heart. Breaking news and nervous breakdowns in the year that wouldn't end. So it's it's based on my work in Next Draft, but it's really much broader than that, uh, much more personal than that. Uh, It sort of takes a look at the year 2020 from a perspective of all the crazy stuff that happened to us that we may have not been able to absorb in the real time, and it offers a time capsule for that. But more importantly, it sort of explains how we got there in terms of our relationship with technology and media, uh, the rise of Trump, and, and the broader meaning of some of the things that happened, especially in the second half of the year. And for that, it's really taken through the eyes of uh, my parents who were both Holocaust survivors. So I try to channel some of their lessons for people who weren't sure how serious what was happening to our democracy was. They might not believe it from me, but I think they will believe it from my parents.
0: And so, yeah, putting that stuff in historical context, I think if you had asked someone January of this year, they would have been like, hell no, I don't want to look back at 2020. But we've now gotten enough distance that I think people are – they want to look back at the Trump years. They want to look back at just what's happened over the past year and a half and start to think about, you know, what can we learn from this very traumatic time, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. And and I totally understand people's first reaction being, oh my God, I don't want to relive 2020. But over the years, writing my daily newsletter and covering the traumatic years and the most traumatic year of our lifetimes, I sort of have gained a skill to share news or share information in a way that's digestible and sometimes funny, uh, often personal. So it's definitely not just a rehashing of that crazy year. It really is more about how did the internet become a place where, uh, was basically the opposite of what we thought we were building in the early days of the internet. Uh, Why is it that news channels only cover one story at a time? Why is it that people think that they're Batman and have to be notified of every news story on their phone as they're walking down the street? You know, Why do you need to know about a mudslide in Turkey when you're waiting in line at the bank? You probably don't, but you feel like you do. So there's a lot of those issues as well. So there's a lot of humor, tech, media. It's really everything I've sort of learned and been thinking about over the last 20 years working and writing on the web
0: well no one's better qualified to analyze the news than the managing editor of the internet but for today let's just focus on a few of the people you follow listeners can follow along with us today every person dave recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at follow friday So, Dave, before the show, I gave you a list of categories, and I asked you to tell me four people you follow who fit in those categories. Your first pick is in the category Someone Who Makes You Think, and you took an unusual route here. Rather than picking just one person, you said the magazine The Atlantic, which you can find all over social media and at theatlantic.com. You know, I know, like I said, you're looking at all these different dozens of news sources every day. Why specifically do you say The Atlantic Makes You Think?
1: Uh, yeah, thanks for letting me uh, sort of break the rules a little bit and pick a, a group instead of an individual. But I really think the Atlantic of all the news outlets that I check daily, and I check a lot, probably about 75 a day, no one did a better job of getting 2020 right and the whole Trump era right. And I really think they deserve a lot of credit. Before the Trump era, even, I don't think there was any old school publication that made a better transition to the internet and to the online world than the Atlantic. I mean, there are other news organizations like the Times or the Washington Post that do a great job online, but they weren't quite as in the category, I would say, of sort of stodgy East Coast as the Atlantic, more something you'd see somebody reading on in business class on a plane, as opposed to a really mainstream. mainstream publication with broad reach. So first they made that transition to being an online publication, and then they just did an incredible job of predicting what was happening during the Trump era, explaining what was happening, and really not having any fear or indecisiveness about making it very clear what was happening. And I can just share a few examples of uh, writers that did an incredible job um, for The Atlantic during 2020, and they still do a great job now. Uh, one is named Anne Applebaum. Uh, she's the author most recently of a book called Twilight of Democracy, The Seductive Lure of Authoritarianism. And she is not a liberal necessarily. She's probably more... Uh, conservative thinker, but she saw the threat of Trumpism. And she saw how that threat was being mirrored across Europe among people who were her friends or former friends in some cases. And she was surprised to see how people were, who ordinarily she would agree with politically were being pulled towards this authoritarian bent. And she really spent a lot of time writing about that during 2020 and before. And it was just a lot of really important writing, and I thought really accurate writing. And I mentioned my parents earlier, they are uh, fully on board with her take, or they were anyway. Another person who did a great job is this guy named Adam Serwer. And he wrote this book, I'm sorry, he wrote an article called Uh, the cruelty is the point.
0: Very famous now. Yeah,
1: very famous saying a lot of people have sort of co-opted it, really. Uh, But he was the one who came up with it and really explaining how the uh, politics of Trumpism work, that it's not a mistake, the attacks on people or the things that we would find to be sort of sound like schoolyard bullying and a turnoff was actually the point of what he was doing. There's a, a writer there named Yasha Monk who wrote a article last March, I think it was, or yeah, March of 2020 saying cancel everything. And at the time that he wrote that article, it was almost crazy to think of canceling everything for most of us. But within a week, everybody was canceling everything. Mm-hmm. Eddie Yong, their science writer, won a Pulitzer for his absolutely unbelievable explanatory journalism about the COVID eruption and its uh, how it Moved in and out of our society and up and down the uh, surge charts over time. Really great explaining. James Hamblin also did a great job with that for them. And they have other great writers like Amanda Mullen and Ian Bogus to write more about the intersection of culture and our lives. But I just think overall they did a great job. Even their editor, Jeffrey Goldberg, was the one who broke the story about Trump calling troops, suckers, and losers.
0: Oh, wow. That feels like a million years ago, but yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it was 2020, uh, even pretty far into 2020. That That's one wow. weird thing. As I had my friends or proofreaders uh, go over my book, that was the number one response. Like, oh my god, I can't believe that happened in 2020. I thought that was another year. I don't remember that happening. It was mm-hmm. so overwhelming. But yeah, I really think if people could pick one, one publication to follow to explain in very clear terms, the politics of the moment, uh, I would give Atlantic my vote for that. Not daily news necessarily, because they're not just really covering minute-by-minute minute news. All their articles are essentially features. But right. I, I really give them a ton of credit.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering, obviously you mentioned all these names, all these incredibly talented, this, this dream team of reporters yeah. and writers and editors who work there. But I'm wondering, do you think that the reason they got it so right is because they weren't under that pressure of covering the daily news. I mean, you certainly have feature writers and editors at places like the New York Times and the Washington Post and, and everything, but I wonder if maybe the magazine format encourages reporters to look at macro issues in a different way to to, to analyze, you know, what's going on in the world in a way that's maybe more useful. What, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think definitely when the news tsunami was hitting us in 2020. Anything that would get people to stop and focus on one article or focus on one idea for a little longer was definitely good. Um, They certainly weren't the only people that were warning about uh, our slide towards authoritarianism, but they did the best job of explaining it, and maybe that's due to the magazine angle. One other writer there that fits into that idea is this guy McKay Coppin. One thing that he did that was so valuable during the year was that he would basically clear his browser cache and then he would sign up for Facebook as a conservative and follow huh. a lot of the most pro Trump uh, news sources and join a lot of those groups, and then he would see the influx of coverage that came to him. Wow. And he didn't just read it for two seconds and then post an article saying, look at how crazy this is. Right? We all can do that. We all saw a thousand articles and a thousand tweets about that. What he did was he absorbed it for a month or two and then said, here's what I felt happening inside of me and how I began to question what I knew was reality because it was so powerful getting this drug injected into my veins for a couple months. So I think that's an example of writing a feature allowing you to have enough time to really get the whole story because we had enough snap judgments uh, over the last few years to last everybody a lifetime.
0: I mean, yeah, right now we're going through the latest... Iteration of this of this meme or this idea is um, all these people who are taking drugs intended for for horses uh, because rather than opting for a free safe vetted vaccine and there's a lot of folks I think on the left on on my side of the political aisle who are snapping to to mockery and to look these stupid people taking this horse medicine but I think there is a lot of Blame that should be directed a lot. A lot of attention that should be directed at who is spreading that message, who's getting that out there. Who, who are the people in power who are influencing folks to to go down that route? So I, th- I think that's a really uh, fascinating thing: is to put yourself in the position of a person who is being influenced. I that, that's a, that's a wonderful idea. I, I mean, a really vital idea for for a project these days.
1: Yeah, and I think um, when it comes to ivermectin and other stories about sort of extreme behaviors as it relates to COVID, um, some of which came from our our former president of the idea of injecting Lysol and other quackery. Uh, I think it's good to remember that that stuff is really the extreme minority of people. Most Mm -hmm. people who aren't getting the vaccine are either afraid of the health risks. They can't get time off from work. They're afraid they'll get fired. Uh, They think we're going to hit herd immunity, so why should they take the risk? Uh, They've been misled by either uh, headlines or stories on Fox News or other right-wing publications, or they've just been confused by a lot of the headlines in mainstream journalism, where we had like three weeks where there was these shocks that we were having breakthrough cases of COVID when people were vaccined, had the vaccine. But that's how vaccines work. You get a breakthrough case, you just don't get hospitalized, you just don't die. And if you read the articles, yeah, that said that in, third, in the third paragraph, but it didn't say it in the headlines. So. Right. I think we have to remember every time we see the craziness of this sort of ivermectin types. Uh, yes, like you said, to understand where did this idea come from, why would somebody believe it? And uh, equally important to remember, attacking that 1% of people is not going to help move the 20 or 30% of people we have to move to getting the
0: vaccine. Well said. Well, that was The Atlantic, which you can read at theatlantic.com. It's Dave, let's move on to your next follow. I asked you for someone you don't know but want to be your friend, and you said Billy Corbin, who's on Twitter and Instagram at Billy Corbin, and Corbin is spelled C-O-R-B-E-N. So, Billy is a documentary filmmaker. He's done several episodes of 30 for 30, and he's done a Netflix series called Cocaine Cowboys. He's also the director of Screwball, which is sounds fascinating to me. It's a documentary about the MLB doping scandal. So, talk about what what do you like about Billy and his work, and why do you want to be friends with him?
1: Sure. Well, I he actually is a friend of a friend, so I give ah, uh, a chance. Yeah, I, yeah, this is gonna happen, Billy. If you're listening, dude, we gotta hang out. But I first discovered him through a friend of mine, so I started following him, and then realized that he was, uh, in addition to being pretty entertaining on Twitter, a really good documentarian and the first one that i uh, watched of his you mentioned 30 for 30 uh was uh the u and that was like i think the first two part 30 for 30 that was like four hours on the university of miami's football team and it was just Incredibly entertaining and uh, remarkably interesting. Whether you're not, you don't actually have to be a football fan. Actually, for good documentaries, you really don't have to be interested in the topic at all, I find, if the people do a good job. So I, I got into him first because of that. And then he's also done a series called Cocaine Cowboys, where he has covered the drug war. He covered somebody that's known as the godmother of the drug cartels. And his most recent one covered these two guys who were put on trial in Miami. And they were like moderate-sized but highly popular drug dealers. And their case was just totally absurd. And every twist and every turn in their case was unthinkable. So it was a multi-part series that's out now. And it's called Cocaine Cowboys, the Kings of Miami. Mm And every episode, you sort of think like, how can we do multiple episodes on just these two minor, relatively minor figures in the drug war, especially since there's been a thousand documentaries on the drug war.
0: Right.
1: And every episode at the end, it ends with a twist where you just can't believe it. And you can't wait to see the craziness that happens next. And the reason I really like following Billy, though, on Twitter, as much as I love his documentaries, and they're all really good, you mentioned Screwball, which is a great, fun, and Somewhat strange documentary about steroids and baseball because he uses a lot of puppets to do the talking. Oh my because, gosh. Sort of as a satire of the fact that not too many people would go on record. Right. But many of these things have something to do with either Miami or Florida. And I think it's a given at this point that, as weird as the internet is and weird as the news cycle is, the most weird always always is Florida uh, <laughs> and he basically uses his Twitter stream to share incredibly bizarre videos or happenings from Florida and or cases of corruption and all of them sort of serve as metaphors for our broader, Nuttiness. So even if you don't care about Florida, you can recognize the Americanisms in all of it. And then each one ends with a hashtag because Miami or because Florida. And I just find it incredibly enjoyable and incredibly consistent. And it's, I love simple things. And he just, that part of his online brand is just so simple and so effective and it's a never-ending stream of unbelievable content so yeah i i highly recommend following him for that alone
0: yeah and in his twitter bio he describes himself as florida man do you want to explain the florida man meme this is certainly something for for any any other voracious news readers that probably probably come across this before
1: Yeah, there's just so many strange stories out of Florida that there has become this sort of Florida man meme where the weirdest thing is always a headline that starts with Florida man does something or Florida woman does something. And so he's uh, taken on that moniker for himself, even though he's pretty far from Florida man. But yeah, his most recent one that he shared was a guy that people may have seen, it went a bit viral on the internet. Of a guy who white guy who he was probably inebriated, but he was asked to put on a mask at Miami Air, Miami's airport. Oh, this guy! Yeah, and he went completely nuts. And somebody filmed him like swinging turnstiles and threatening and pushing uh, people at the airport. It probably went on for about fifteen minutes, and or not fifteen minutes. That's an exaggeration, but it seemed like it. It went on for about <laughs> yeah, three or four minutes one. for sure. Yeah, and people that were filming it were saying like, "Where are the police? What's happening?" And so, in a way, it was, yes, another Florida man story that was uh, an opportunity for Billy Corbett to say because Miami, but there was this broader message that was so obvious that after a, the year of Black Lives Matter, to see a white guy going crazy in the airport and pushing people, pushing security, going nuts, and then eventually he was taken for some mental health counseling compared to what would have happened if that was a, a black passenger, is not lost on anybody. And... Uh, then Billy follows up and sees that even though it said the stories said he was arrested, he actually looked into the files or not the files, but the records for the Miami Police Department, and there was no evidence that he had been arrested. So it sort of had all the pieces the crazy Florida man, the cultural connection to all of America, and the just wanton corruption that Miami and Florida are so famous for, but that is seeping into the rest of America also
0: yeah i think i first saw that video from all the various middle eastern and indian people who i follow and south asian people who i follow on twitter because a lot of them were saying just being brown in america you know post 9 11 for the past 20 years the idea of stepping anywhere remotely close to this the the, this far out of line is just unfathomable you know that you could "Quote unquote, get away with that." I mean, hopefully he is getting help. Hopefully, you know, he's getting whatever sort of help he needs. But it's just like completely two different worlds of just how you get treated. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned that you Billy is a friend of a friend. So there is a chance you two will get together at some point. Um, So if if you were friends, let's let's set up the first date here. What what do you want to do with him, or what do you want to talk about with him?
1: Well, I'm sure if we if we did talk. At first, he would say, "Hey, can you promote my documentary (laughs) in your newsletter?" And I would say, "Hey, can you tweet about my book uh, to your (laughs) following?" So um, I find that in old school, uh, old school internet types, that's the first thing. But I really would love to learn more about the documentary process. I've been getting, I've been investing in uh, internet companies for about 30 years. But in the last year, I've started to also dabble in uh, some documentaries. And that's probably my favorite art form, I would say. I love documentaries. I love TV in general, but I really do love documentaries. So I just love to ask him about that, how it works, how he comes up with ideas, how he sets it up. Uh, how somebody can get involved with it. And I'd also just love to get any stories about the drug war because it's, uh, even though I cover all news, I would say at the intersection of the America's war on drugs and the opiate crisis is sort of the sweet spot of my area of interest because it's, I feel especially the opioid crisis is sort of the everything America story. So I'd probably want to talk to him about that stuff and learn more about it.
0: That was Billy Corbin, who's on Twitter and Instagram at Billy Corbin we're going to take a quick break now but we'll be back in a minute with dave pell from next draft today's show is brought to you by follow friday on patreon our patrons are amazing beautiful people who help make this show possible and they also get cool stuff Starting at just $1 a month, you get a shout-out on Follow Friday, your name in the show notes, and exclusive bonus episodes every week. Next week's bonus episode is an extra follow recommendation from none other than Dave Pell. We really geeked out about one of his favorite comedians and stupid viral videos, and the person who Dave says may be the best interviewer ever. The only way to hear that discussion is to back Follow Friday on Patreon, but you can pledge any amount you want, starting at just $1 a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash follow Friday to check it out. And thank you so much for your support. That's patreon.com slash followfriday. It's Follow Friday. Welcome back to Follow Friday. Dave Pal, I asked you to tell me about someone who inspires you, and you said Jose Andres, who is on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, at Chef Jose Andres, and Andres is spelled A-N-D-R-E-S. I've read plenty about him over the past couple years, but for people who might not know, who is he and what makes him inspiring?
1: In a lot of ways, I feel like he represents so many people who have done really good things that are related to these horrible news stories we've experienced over the last year or two between COVID and the economic divide and natural disasters. It all seems so overwhelming sometimes. And then we're further overwhelmed by the fact that it seems like most people who are getting media time are just saying things that are either hateful, ridiculous, or just piss us off instead of make us feel inspired. And I felt, especially during 2020, there was this moment when COVID first hit that We were so ripe as a culture to be led and to be brought together. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in the Bay Area and we had a few droughts, nothing like what we have now. But when we'd have a drought, like the mayor and the principals would all get together and we'd have all these rules about not using water. And we'd like compete with each other. And it was like a thing that we would work together on. And I felt none of that during COVID, which was such a much bigger threat and a much bigger challenge. And if there ever was a moment when people to put politics aside, it's like human versus virus is that moment. And yet we were all pretty let down by the moment. So Jose Andres. Sort of fulfills that for me. He goes to where the trouble is. If you want to follow the news, you can just follow Jose Andres. The news industry tends to focus on one story at a time and whatever the most controversial. So as we're talking, the big story that's being covered is the pullout from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. But if you follow Jose Andres over the last week, he had a tweet recently that said, good night, everybody. I'm leaving Haiti for now to go meet the World Central Kitchen team in New Orleans. Right. So he shows that the news, really the biggest news affecting the most people uh, was where he was needed the most was the uh, weather disasters and other natural disasters in Haiti and mm-hmm. in Louisiana. So who he is, it's interesting that Haiti was the place that he was tweeting from because that's where he first started out. He. um was, as you mentioned, a celebrity chef or is a celebrity chef. And during a disaster in Haiti in 2010, he started this thing called the World Central Kitchen, where he went there with a pretty small group of people and started feeding people who needed help. Uh, Now a decade and a year later, he finds himself back there for another natural disaster. Poor Haiti has a lot of them. But wherever there's trouble, he goes. I mean, it's really inspiring to follow his Twitter because of that, and he has built this incredible team that does this around the world. And it's not just him. It's actually, like I said, he he represents people doing good things, but even more specifically, he represents chefs. Uh, and celebrity chefs that have some throw with the public doing incredible things for people when they need it the most. So like a friend of mine, Tyler Florence, who's a big chef on the Food Network, like anytime there's a fire, if there's a puff of smoke in Napa or Sonoma or the Calder fires we're having now uh, near Tahoe, you know, he is there and he takes his family and they're feeding people. And the energy these people have is just so inspiring. So if I'm going through a thousand tweets and they're all just people yelling at each other and trying to score political points after a terrible news story, it's always just inspiring to see Jose like taking a selfie of himself leaving one earthquake scene to go to a flood scene, and giving people the thing they need most. You know, it's like the 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 very base of Maslow's hierarchy, right? You need some food, and yeah, I just find him endlessly inspiring.
0: Well, and we, and we should say that the various places he's been over the past decade it's not just him making meals like he's you know leading this group world central kitchen and i looked it up when i first kind of became aware of him was when he went to puerto rico after hurricane maria hit in 2017 and i think if i have the number right he had 19000 volunteers with him uh, on that trip so it's uh, he's certainly the 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 leader and the the the, the figurehead of, of this much larger relief effort that's going on uh, they made many Millions of meals for people. It really is one of the most inspiring things. I, I agree with you on this one for sure. When something, when a natural disaster hits, it seems like his instinct is to just go and help, however he can, which that's what makes him so admirable. But I'm wondering, you know, as someone working in media, someone with a big platform yourself, like, how do you think about you sort of your responsibility or what your first step is? When something happens that that needs attention, that needs people to kind of focus on it, like what is your thought process there?
1: Yeah, I mean, historically, my first thought process really is to pull back and try to give people the most accurate information about that story. I see that as my my key role, you know. I, because I'm a couch hero, I'm not really out there doing it, and that's probably why I'm so impressed with uh, people who are. But. I think on a broader level, especially during the pandemic year, before the pandemic, I always had a sponsor in my newsletter and you know made a pretty decent uh, amount of money off of that. But during the pandemic, I decided I really wanted to use my newsletter to support either nonprofits or different efforts that were going on to help people, whether it was in some cases, it actually was uh, getting people to support causes related to World Central Kitchen. There were actually hundreds of these that emerged throughout the country. One sort of angle in particular I thought made a ton of sense was having the government or the state pay restaurants to prepare foods for frontline workers and first responders during the early part of the pandemic. The government, I really felt should have done this. Uh, I, I emailed my governor several times and some of his people he put me in touch with. Uh, I wrote about it. I talked to people about it. And a few people that I know actually started to do something like that. But unfortunately, it wasn't government funded. I really think it should have been. It was a Big missed opportunity, I think. It made perfect sense. There's so rare that you have a win-win, and this was a win-win-win. The restaurants win, the people who work at the restaurants win, the frontline workers win, and we as consumers win because the restaurants that we needed to order out from or whatever would stay in business. So a lot of people set these programs up, and a couple of them were friends of mine. So I would try to promote those a lot in Next Draft, and we were able to raise quite a bit of money. Another friend of mine uh, started a program, which was the Frontline Counseling Project here in San Francisco, where they got about 500 therapists to provide free services for frontline workers because they could see very early on that there were going to be a lot of trauma. I can't imagine how much worse it is now that we're like almost two years into this nightmare. Right. But this was early on, and so they they treated uh, you know thousands of hours worth. So that kind of stuff. When I either know the person or trust the source, and I can put the next draft readership behind supporting that, I think is really valuable because everybody, when they see a hurricane hit Louisiana or they hit a disaster, hit Haiti, or they see this incredibly sad and horrifying scene play out in Afghanistan, wants to think, what do I do? But you go on the web and there's like a thousand people asking for your money, a thousand politicians emailing you for five bucks. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, I don't know which to give to. I don't know what to trust. Every day there's a story about some fake organization. So I think that's one thing uh, that as a newsletter writer and you know you as a podcaster as we develop sort of a trusted relationship with our audiences that if we can vet those things and give people an outlet for that sort of behavior that makes them feel good and supports a cause it's pretty valuable so i'm no jose andres
0: but hopefully I've
1: given him a few bucks through next draft over the years.
0: Every little bit counts. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, so if, if, if folks listening to this, if you want to donate to world central kitchen, it's WCK.org. That was Jose Andres who's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at chef Jose Andres. It's Friday. We have time for one more follow today. I asked you for someone you've followed forever. And you said John Gruber, the founder of Daringfireball.net. He's also on Twitter at Gruber G R U B E R, and he hosts the podcast The Talk Show and Dithering. So, for people who don't know John's work, explain who he is and what he writes about on Daring Fireball.
1: Sure, he's uh, been blogging uh, forever, like I have. uh, I was a blogger in the early days, and so was he. Mm -hmm. Incredibly popular blogger. Drives an unbelievable amount of traffic when he links to you. It's it, back in the day before we all were hosted by Amazon Web Services and had our own servers. People's servers would regularly go down when John would link to a story on their site or on their blog. And that was called Getting Fireballed. It even had a name. <laughs> so, what uh, he basically, his core area that he covers is definitely Apple and everything iPhone, Mac, uh, iPad. Uh, has a ton of contacts in Apple and a ton of great insights about apple and I am a incredible apple fanboy I've been back when you said somebody was a member of the one percent and it meant that meant that they used a mac mm. uh, I've been using it since then, so as a young man, I tried endlessly to convince all of my friends to switch to Mac and tried to explain when it was better and we had to go to these obscure stores to deal with incredibly irritable dudes who would make you feel bad for asking a question about a scuzzy port. (laughs) But now, of course, Apple is everywhere and everything. So it might be hard to explain that feeling uh, of allegiance today that I had back then, but it has lasted. So I've been following him ever since then. And he just has, I mean, he's a fanboy too. So he's uh, certainly fair, but he's also, you know, loves Apple, but he just never, uh, hesitates to sort of shoot from the hip. That's the thing I really like the most about him. I'd say over, over time, I've developed more of that, but that's probably been a lot of times my biggest hesitation. I do hate getting hate mail or somebody saying that joke went too far or whatever.
0: So you kind of reel yourself back. You kind of restrain yourself a little bit.
1: Yeah or I worry about it, or if somebody criticizes it, then it gets me irritated, even if I think I'm right. But he really is pretty fearless. And the other thing that I really like about him and what he's done is that I really found it off-putting during 2020 when the shit was just hitting the fan in so many ways, and people would just stick to their ordinary beat and pretend none of that was happening. And that just seemed so crazy to me. And he didn't do that. So he covered the election. He lives in Pennsylvania and he said, oh, I have some extra insights into the vote count in Pennsylvania. And he covered that with the same kind of analytical eye that he covers Apple News. Hmm. Uh, he covers the vaccine rollout and you know politicians that are working against the best health interest of their constituents. And I really felt that was important. I don't think it's important forever. Uh, I don't think everything needs to be political forever, but in the COVID era and the attack on democracy area, everything really was political. And to pretend that it wasn't, I think was a disservice to readers. So I, I really like that he does that too. I really, even though I do a newsletter, I really think of my newsletter as most akin to a talk radio show. Mm-hmm. So, the first time you read it, yeah, you'll see the news and stuff, but you might not really get into the groove of it. Your or, tone. Yeah, yeah, the tone, the angle, the references. But if you stick with it about a week, there's a sports broadcaster named Jim Rome who, anytime he enters a new market, he always says, just give me one week, don't judge me today. You might hate it, but just give it a week so you know what we're talking about and the vibe of the 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 group here. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, John has done a great job of that during Fireball. There's just a tone and some asides. He. Uh, if somebody says something that is a crazy statement, especially about Apple, and then it's proven to be wildly false, even as many as many years later, uh, he'll call it claim chowder. <laughs> it's just little subtle things that he does. And he cares about design. And yeah, it's just... Uh, also, I just feel good seeing somebody else as old as me still doing this garbage.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's for a time blogging was the hottest thing. It it was like the thing that everyone associated with. You're making stuff for the internet. You're a blogger. And he has held on and refused to cede that ground, even as people flee to other platforms. I mean, he's doing two podcasts now. He's not only doing the blog, but... Yeah,
1: but he he does like to stick to doing it his way. And I think that's good. I mean, he's an indie who makes a ton of money every year off ads on his... Blog alone. And so I think that's inspiring. You know, if somebody puts in the work and sticks to their guns and sticks to their strategy, it could be successful. So, uh, and he was doing it at a time where this was before Patreon and Substack. Mm -hmm. The idea of somebody making money off their blog was uh, pretty unusual when he started making plenty of money off of it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's cool to see. But like I said, it's mostly just that he's old. (laughs) <laughs> and that's awesome for me. So I don't have to be the only one with gray hair on this internet.
0: Yeah. Do Do you remember how you first you you mentioned sort of the you know the pre Amazon Web Services days of of blogging? You know how how different it was just to even be linked to by a by a larger blog. Do you remember how you specifically first? Started reading his blog. Like, were were you just like refreshing his homepage? You know, every day, seeing if what what was new. Or what was your like? Ha, how did how did you follow people like John?
1: I've always really just followed people on the web, except for using a Twitter client or whatever. I never really got into RSS, even though it's gone now, basically, um, or other tools. I just like opening tabs, mostly because I read mostly news sites, and I want the managing editors of each publication to do some work for me and show me what they think is most important. And I'm used to looking on different spots on pages. And I also think the blog uh, style is still underrated as one of the greatest UI breakthroughs on the internet where you go to a site and the most recent thing is up top. It sounds simple now, but it wasn't simple when blogs started. Uh, you would go to a news site and you'd have to scroll all over the place to see what was new. And then the blog technology sort of said, no, you come here regularly. So just read until you get to the part you already read. And it was uh, pretty cool. So I just went to him that way because I was such an Apple fan. Yeah, uh, But Back in the day when we were both starting out, we were both on the same gray computer box. And the box was called Comux. He would know what it is and many other people of our generation would know. It was just one specific box and one specific hosting provider, regular computer that you would see on your desk in those days. Mm-hmm. And on on that box was like, uh, I think, Ev had Evan Williams, who did Twitter and Medium were on there and Blogger. John was on there, I was on there, and a little company called WordPress was also hosted on there. Hmm. So it was uh, quite a little sort of where are they now, VH1 thing or whatever. <laughs> uh, so it was cool, but that that's how far back it goes. So back then, if he took somebody down, he would take us all down.
0: Yeah. I was reading an old interview with you from I think like ten years ago or so, where the reporter's asking, you know, how do you make next draft? And you say that you, you use uh, the reading list feature in Safari, and, and the writer is just like, what? No one uses Safari, but <laughs> you know w- w- whatever whatever works. I, I I say you know.
1: Yeah, no, I do everything totally old school. I write next draft in this old program called BB Edit, which is an HTML coding program that's probably been around for since the day after uh, Mark. Andreessen invented the browser, if not earlier, mm-hmm. so I'm probably the last guy to do that too. And I also do all my codes whatever they were 20 years ago and then I have a WordPress installation where my engineer has it strip out all of my old codes and put in the, the current ones. so yeah, I'm pretty old school.:
0: Well, that was John Gruber, whose work you can find at daringfireball.net. Dave Pell, thank you for sharing your follows with us today. Before we go, let's make sure listeners know how to find you online. Where do you want them to follow you?
1: Well, they can find me on Twitter at, at Dave Pell and... They can find me for my daily newsletter at nextdraft.com. It's also a uh, iOS app, so you can download it from the App Store if you want. And these days, most importantly, uh, they can pre-order my book, Please Scream Inside Your Heart. Uh, that's available pretty much everywhere. And it's uh, you can just go to pleasescream.com and uh, we made a pretty cool landing page. So it's worth checking that out if nothing else.
0: Oh, yeah. So the, the title of the book, that's from, correct me if I'm wrong, it was like a Japanese roller coaster or something like that?
1: Right. There was a uh, a Japanese roller coaster at a amusement park. It had a, a roller coaster called the Fujiyama Roller Coaster that was, uh, at the time, it was built one of the scariest roller coasters in the world. And during the sort of darkest days of the pandemic, back in July of 2020, Tokyo officials decided they would allow people to go back to amusement parks as long as they wore masks. And the people at the amusement park that ran it found that everybody was wearing the masks, unlike an American following the rules. But when they would go on this one roller coaster, they would go crazy and be screaming. And so there was like sort of a health risk associated with mm. that. And so they said, you can come to the amusement park, you can wear your Mask, but you can't scream. And everybody sort of made fun of that, especially in Japanese social media. Like, how can you possibly go on this roller coaster and not scream? Right. So the executives at the amusement park sent two of their key executives on the roller coaster wearing a shirt and tie mask and having perfectly coiffed hair (laughs) and they had a camera on them as they did the entire roller coaster without really moving a muscle except to adjust their hair a couple times but no screaming and at the end of that video a message came up that said please scream inside your heart (laughs) and that sort of became a, a pretty big meme in a year that was filled with them and i just felt it sort of captured the craziness of 2020 and also the feeling like we had so much to scream about, but it was almost too much to uh, handle. So this book sort of says you we can relax and sort of let it out at this point.
0: And give the website one more time. Where can people pre-order that? Uh, they can
1: pre-order it at uh, any, any online bookstore or they can go to pleasescream.com.
0: Well, follow me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ and this show on Twitter and Instagram at Follow Friday Pod. And now, as I mentioned earlier, you can find clips from the podcast on YouTube. Click the link in the show notes or search for Follow Friday Podcast on YouTube. Our theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodi Hermawan. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, say something nice. See you next Friday.